Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're going to be diving into John chapter number 6, beginning in verse number 22, and working our way down through the teachings that Jesus provides his people as concerning himself as being the bread of life. Going to be a very important subject that we cover, but even more so are the important subjects to get to it. So we're going to be taking sectional breaks through this just to be able to look at what Jesus is saying because it's very important for us to consider, for instance, the very first uh, topic of subject that we have today is exactly why did you come to Jesus? And what exactly is the basis of your salvation? Because as we learn today, the work of God, the work of God, by the way, is that we believe in Jesus so that we would recognize that it would be through the Holy Spirit that we would be drawn to Jesus, that the work of God become complete in us. We come to believe in Jesus, and that is our union to Jesus and to salvation. But so many people uh, base their salvation off of needing a miracle of healing or seeking Jesus. If you'd, if you'd help me through this difficult time in my life, then I promise I'll serve you. If you... If you do this for me, then I'll do this for you. And we often base the concept of our coming to faith on a contractual arrangement of if you do, then I'll do. And rarely do we ever live up to our end of the bargain on any contractual arrangement that we make with God. So we find that in the teachings today as concerning the bread of life that Jesus, being the gift of God, is he who was sent from God to man for the purpose of working out God's perfect will and drawing us unto believing in him. Something to think about as we engage in the word of God from John chapter number 6, beginning in verse 22 today. Father, we are thankful, asking that blessing be upon us as we receive from your word this day. And Lord, we just pray that you will guide us through this week, that we may be able to discover those precious truths that we may have never known before. Bless us in Jesus' name this moment. Amen. All right, guys. So we're going to get into reading the Word of God. We're going to start off in verse number 22. And the first place that we're going to stop is going to be in verse number 27. And so the scripture would go down to say, the day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there save the one whereinto his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone, howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they did eat bread after that the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they, they said to him, Why did you come over here? <laughs> and Jesus answered them and said, Verily I say unto you, You seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perishes, but for that meat which endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. 
So in this moment, in this section of Scripture, we see that we're tied back together with that, that time that Jesus was over on the other side of, of the, the lake here, and, and it was a test of his disciples to say, well, these people are hungry. What do we have to be able to feed them? And of course, his disciples said, well, we only have 200 penny worth of bread. And then the other disciples said, well, here's this kid, and he's got two fishes and five loaves of bread. And so Jesus said to command everybody to sit down. It's about 5,000 that were taken care of, according to the testimony of John. Well, the, the same scenario now has come back to visit us again in John chapter number 6 because it was the day after all of these events took place. Of course, we know that the disciples, they embarked in that afternoon and it said that all of the people had watched the disciples leave. But they also know that Jesus separated himself from the disciples and that that's why they were still standing by uh, on, on that side of, of the seashore there in Tiberias is because they were waiting for Jesus to come back. And the reason why is, remember, they were going to take him by force if it was necessary to be able to, to inaugurate him immediately as their king and then just go start taking over the world. So this is the reason why Jesus separated himself and went up into the hillside and why he commanded his disciples to take off in the boat and go to the other side of Capernaum. So what we discover from John chapter number 6 is that the people actually recognized, they actually saw that these things were happening. So <clears throat> when they noticed that, of course, the disciples were gone and they, they saw that, but they knew Jesus wasn't with them. Now, they didn't know where Jesus was or they'd have gone and found him and took him by force. <laughs> They'd already plotted that in their hearts why Jesus took off the first place. But they were standing by waiting because they knew that Jesus didn't get in the boat with them. That means that he was still on their side, so to speak. So they waited. Now, of course, we know that, that Jesus took off uh, across the sea. He was walking on the water. This was that scenario that we painted where, where Peter comes out of the boat and walks toward Jesus. This is that situation where Jesus came up close to the boat. And he said, peace be unto you. It is I. Do not be afraid. Uh, all of these, these things were transpiring since Jesus was walking on water. Now, the others that were on the, the Tiberius side, of course, were either resting, they were sleeping, or just totally missed the fact that, that a man was walking across a sea on, on the water. Either way, he eluded their their vision and escaped them. So it comes to this point in verse number 22, of course, that they, they know that their disciples were already gone and that there was another boat that was there, and that would have been the boat that Jesus would get into. But, of course, it was still there, so they assumed Jesus to still be there. And so it comes down to verse number 24, and it says, The people saw that Jesus was not there, neither were his disciples there. They also took shipping. So they jumped in, into the other boats that were coming near, as it says in verse 23, there came other boats from Tiberias near to the place where they, they were all waiting that they had been fed. So these guys jumped in the, in the boats, as many as could uh, cross to the other side into Capernaum. And, and their whole purpose was to seek Jesus. Now, we would immediately assume that this was a great thing, right? I mean, 
aren't we all supposed to be seeking Jesus? I mean, is this this good and and right that they they were so enamored with Christ when He was there, uh, taking care of them with the with the five loaves of bread for five thousand people and just a couple of fishes? So this th- this seems like a good thing, right? But as we find, it's the purpose behind why they were seeking Jesus. Jesus. It was their reasoning that was faulty. They were following a feeling. They were following their sensations. Uh, keep in mind, you're dealing with a bunch of guys, as it was written, 5,000 men. Now, could there be women and children? Certainly, there could have been. But these things I don't know. One thing I do know, it was 5,000 men, and and their belly got filled. Well, the, Jesus immediately became their bestie because he fed them. And so this is why they were chasing after him, why they were seeking him, because the last thing that they want to do is go hungry again. And Jesus could take just a couple of loaves of bread and feed every single one of them until they were completely full, the scripture made known. So as they, they come to the other side, they find Jesus finally, verse number 25, and they said, what in the world are you doing coming over here? Well, you got to keep in mind the whole goal of this people after getting fed was surely this must be the Messiah. And then they said, well, okay, let's just take him by force, crown him king, and let's go kick the Romans backside. Well, that's just not the way Jesus was planning to to uh, conquer Satan and this world. And just like he told Peter, when Peter pulled out his his sword or dagger or whatever blade he had, and he cut the ear of the servant of the high priest off when they came to arrest Jesus. And Jesus fussed at him. And he, he took the ear from the ground and he applied it back onto that servant's head and reattached his ear, uh, but fussed at Peter and said, this is not how we're going to fight for this kingdom that I am establishing. This isn't how this kingdom works, not a physical one. It's one that is born of the Spirit. It's a spiritual kingdom. And so these people, as they had plotted to say, well, Jesus fed us, so he must be able to do all things for us, kind of like setting him up as their own social security system, that we would uh, crown him king and voila, we're going to be perfectly taken care of and everything's going to be just spot on. But the reality is Jesus knows what's going on. He took off. And that's why in verse 25, they said, what in the world are you going? So when did you get over here and why did you leave, essentially? So Jesus chastises this people. He's not being rude. He's not being hateful. But he is chastising this people because they, they are seeking their own belly. That is their God at this point. They are seeking their own welfare. That is their God at this point. They're not seeking Christ for being the Son of God. They're not seeking God for being their provision. They're just seeking their own desire. That's what's happening here. And what we find in this crowd that has come after Jesus, chasing after Jesus, is that they they resemble American Christianity today. 
and that it wouldn't be necessarily the miracle that was done and that it wouldn't be Jesus himself that we'd be looking for, but the benefits, but the but the the things which we can acquire, the the welfare, as it was, of what Jesus can do for us. By the way, not will do, but for what Jesus can do for us. Because it isn't guaranteed that Jesus will do anything. It's not like we're going to be able to make it up into the throne room of God in heaven and, and, and force Jesus' hand to do whatever we want for us. It's not like Jesus or the throne room of God is in a bottle and you rub the lamp and the, and the genie Jesus pops out to grant your wishes. But that's the way this people were treating him as concerning their welfare. And I think often that's the way that we in America and this American-type Christianity that is driven by its sensations and, and its feelings more than the, the truth of God's Word. I think that, that that is where we would consider our own welfare, where we consider the way that we feel or the things that we need or the, the, the multitude of, of discomforts that we've faced and we just look to Jesus to be the answer to cure it all or to fix it all in our life and as he fixes things i believe him more but the moment that something doesn't go the way that i've planned it's just as easy for me to drop him in a ditch and go find some other shaman or some other uh practice or religion that that will satisfy my needs for this area of my life in this moment and just ditch jesus because what difference does it make well, these people, as they they had gotten their belly fed and as they had plotted, to, well, plotted, <laughs> so they decided as a group that Jesus was going to be their king and they were going to, if they had to, take him by force. And by the way, they do take him by force in a few chapters from this. And they do crown him king by nailing or plaiting, as it was, that crown of thorns upon his head and completely mistreating the Lord at the pleasure of, of their desire. But we see that Jesus, as they question him, he comes back to them in verse number 26, and he says, Verily I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracle. Now, he's, he's right. They're looking for him but not because of the amazement of this work that he had done. He said, you seek me because you did eat the loaves and were filled. It's a welfare Christianity. And, and this is something that is disgusting to Christ. He's not interested in people coming to him because he has the power to be able to heal uh, disease or cure other other ailments or illnesses he's not interested in people coming to him because he he could walk on water or because he he can do all of these things the, the purpose of the miracles is to, to be enamored to be amazed at the power of god jesus seeks those to that come to him to come to him by the spirit in the truth just like he said of the father in John chapter number four, when he's talking to that Samaritan woman, he said 
that there's coming a time where where people aren't going to worship on this mountain, nor are they going to worship in the temple, but those who come to worship God are going to come in spirit and in truth, and this is the, the people that God desires to worship Him. And so that we find that it isn't because of the miracles that that we have obtained that we have a strong faith in Christ, but because of what God has revealed to us through His Word about His authority and about His power and about His person, who He is, that our faith in Jesus is unto salvation because of the work that God has done on our behalf to save us. Not because we're going to get some benefits or, or we're going to get some, we're going to get something from them. Now, it's no question that God hears the prayers of his children and there's no question that God acts upon the requests of his people may not always work out exactly the way we're praying for it or the way that we were hoping for it, but there's no question that God does work upon the prayers of his people. But again, that's the point. God is the one who is at work on behalf. And when we recognize through salvation what God is doing, who God is, and the the sovereignty of the Creator— we're left enamored by by his presence and just by the joy of knowing that he chose us unto himself to be a peculiar people and that the works that we begin to do as we grow in our knowledge of who Jesus is and of what he has called us to do, the works that we do are not because of who we are, how great we are, what anything else. It's because we have the opportunity to be able to give back unto this gracious and sovereign Lord who has poured out upon us these, these blessings primarily of salvation. And, and, and that's our opportunity to be able to serve Him. It has nothing to do with, with this welfare idea of Christianity where... I do nothing but lounge around and wait for Jesus to do all my bidding. And that's exactly what these people were doing. They, they were chasing Jesus down simply so that their welfare would always be looked after because they know if this guy can feed us 5,000 with a couple of loaves of bread, then anything else that we would need, he will be able to provide. So let's stick with him. And Jesus told him, he said, labor not for the meat which perishes. I mean, look at look at all the, the labor that was involved in them boarding passage with these other boats to try and cross to Capernaum. Uh, in some cases, I think in, in one of the Gospels, it says that they had made the journey that some had walked all the way around uh, the side of the lake from where they were to be able to get to Capernaum. And so some were crossing by boats and some were walking the borders of the of the lake to get around to the other side. And, and there was a great amount of labor that was applied from the people to be able to try and catch up with Jesus again, uh, and all for the purpose of ensuring their own welfare for, for having their genie, or should I say their Jesus, in the bottle. And he says in 27, 
labor not for the meat which perishes. You know, and all of these things like the bread that, that he blessed, the fish that he, that he gave, and their bellies were filled. But guess what? Now they're hungry again. And, and the, the woman at the well, a drawing water from the well, guess what? She went back uh, in that evening and drew some more water. She went back the next day. She drew some more water. These guys are going to need to eat again. At Jesus' point, don't labor for the meat which perishes. Because you can, you can waste your whole life trying to achieve some great position or some great status or some great wealth. You waste your whole life. Uh, just working tirelessly to, to be able to, to do all of these things. Go play and have your vacations and all this other junk. He said, labor not for the meat which perishes, but for that meat which endures unto everlasting life. Now that's something worth laboring for. And what does that labor entail? Uh, 2 Timothy chapter number 2, verse number 15. Study to show yourself approved unto God. What is that labor involved? Uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. Right, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to every creature, teaching them and admonishing them to observe everything that I have taught you. And that's, that, that's pretty, pretty good. That's a lot of labor, by the way. But it's a labor that is un enduring an everlasting life. What's, what's more labor? Uh, prayer. Be instant, in season and out of season with prayer. These things are the labors that endure unto everlasting life. These things are, are the things that we personally as believers can do because we honor God. These aren't things that we do as sacramental merits to be able to to continue to be in God's presence, but we are already in God's presence if we're children of God. But these things we do as we grow in our knowledge of what the Father would have for us to do through the gift that Jesus gave to us in the Word, that, that we may be able to honor our Father and be a blessing of life to this world of death. And so that we would labor for that meat which endures to everlasting life and that labor that we have is something that is given to us by Jesus because as he goes down he says uh, verse 27 labor not for the meat which perishes but for that meat which endures unto everlasting life which the son of man shall give you so these aren't even things that you have to figure out on your own. These aren't things, these labors are not things that you have to work hard to figure out. These labors are not things that that you would be uncertain as to if you've ever received them. These labors are things that Jesus personally promised that he would give unto the children of God as they believe in him. But see, that's the key is, is that you've got to accomplish verse number 26. You've got to accomplish that before you can accomplish verse number 27. He said, you, you seek me not because of the miracle you saw, but because your belly was filled. And so that if we would seek Jesus because of the miracle that he has done in our life unto salvation. Now, I'm not talking about 
uh, people praying over you and the tumor being gone. I'm not talking about uh, your finances coming into a, a, a disastrous crash. And so you showed up to church and you just told people the, the burden you have and they laid their hands on you and they prayed for you. And all of a sudden you got you got a new job and your finances came back up. I'm not talking about those things because of those things are not the reason why you follow Jesus. Those are the, the eating of the loaves and being filled things. But the recognition that God was at work through his children as they laid their hands on you, the recognition that God was at work through the prayers of his saints and that you're not one of those is enough for you to recognize your need to, to repent and to get saved. And to become one of those. And then when you do become one of those, then it is time to grow uh, into being able to eat that meat which endures to everlasting life because it is Jesus who is going to give you everything you need. Jesus equips the saints for the purpose of the service to God. There's not one of you connected to this broadcast in this moment that does not have the ability to be fully equipped for what God has laid upon their heart to do. Because Jesus would not call you unto something that he would not prepare you for. Now, the issue may be that what Jesus is calling you to do, you've never done before it in your life. And so you are afraid to step out into the realm of faith to begin doing something that you've never once done before. But that's not a problem for Jesus. That's your problem because it's called faith. And to live by faith is to step out into the realm of the unknown. Just because you've never done something before doesn't mean that you are not going to be amazing at it. It just simply means that you've never done it before. And Jesus is, has promised, as is shown in verse number 27, that he will provide the meat which endures to everlasting life for you. And that is very important because as we would consider the reality of our lives today, that there are a lot of us who are what I suppose would be considered secret service Christians. Uh, we, we claim we believe in Jesus, we, we, we read our Bible, we go to church, we do all of the cursory things, right, that, that, that we need to be doing in order to be, to be Christian, quote-unquote. But we're not active about our faith, we're not sharing our faith with others, we're not very active in the church there's there's teachers that are needed but we're like whatever you know there's other people that are better at that stuff than me there's there there there's things to be done choirs to be started and and led well there's other people that can do you know sing better than me i i just i'm more of a quiet person i just sit in the pew this is not this is not the active and living faith that uh, james Chapter number two would talk about, but he would say that faith without works was dead, being alone. And, and this is the connection that Jesus would say about the meat that he would provide 
uh, for us at the time of our willingness to serve him as in laboring for the Lord. He would indeed provide for us a meat that endures to everlasting life. Something to think about from verse number 27. For him hath God sealed. And that is very important to understand. So, move down to verse number 28, and we will read the next section. So, verse 28 said, Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Sounds like a fair question to be able to ask at this moment, because that... Jesus just finished talking to these guys about the fact that the reason why they're following him is not for the right reasons, but for the wrong reasons. And so they said, well, well, what are we going to do that we might be able to do the works of God? Now, listen to what Jesus has to say in verse number 29 as he answers them. This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. How'd you catch that? So, People would, would try to challenge uh, folks that, that say, well, you can't work for your salvation. They say, well, but but you've got to believe in Jesus in order to be saved, right? Well, that's a work. you got to work on your belief in order to be saved, right? It's a work. No, it's not. Not at all. According to Jesus' own words, in this moment, verse number 29, he said, this is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. That's the work of God. Our belief in Jesus is a work in us that God does. Now, if you catch a hold of that, it, it's because it means that, that God must draw you to himself. If, if you never heard the word of God and never considered the things of God, never had an influence of a Christian or godliness in your life whatsoever, it's of the most likely sort that you would never turn to Christ. You would never turn to God because there's no, no guidance, no prodding that would draw you to the things of God. And it is through the Holy Spirit that God draws people unto himself, and he does so through Christ. And so that we would find that belief, indeed, I would never argue that belief is not something that is, is a work, right? I mean, it takes some work to believe some things, and sometimes you don't believe it until you see it happen, and then it's still a little baffling. Some of the science experiments and things of that nature that that I've had a hard time thinking, how is this going to be possible? And then all of a sudden it's done, and you go, wow, I'm still wrapping my head around that, but it's amazing. I saw it. It's a work. But we come to understand that salvation is not a work that is done through us, but a work that is completed in us that's done by the Father. So we find in Ephesians chapter number 2 and verse number 8 that it is by grace through faith that we are saved and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. The labors of God are in His grace that is extended to us to open our eyes to belief in Jesus, which is connected to that 
faith that we enter into because we, we begin to believe. And so it's all a work of God as concerning my salvation. It didn't have anything to do with me. It had everything to do with God. And so Jesus made this known in verse number 29. He said, this is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. So, uh, to, to veer away from the reality of the, of the conviction that they're about to come under because of what Jesus has said, and most people will do this, they couldn't just simply accept what Jesus had to say and then, and then say, you know what, we've got to change. We've got to do some things differently because we never thought about it this way. No, they, they couldn't accept it in that kind of framework. So they've got to, to divert the question from themselves to another point. That's exactly what they do here in verse number 30. They said, therefore, unto him, verse 30, what sign will you show us then that we may see and believe you what what uh, what will you work on our behalf is what they're asking <laughs> now they add this little point in in the conversation to try and draw or elicit a response from Jesus they said, therefore, unto him, after verse number 30, Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Do you see the, the temptation that they're now trying to draw unto Jesus? First, they ask, okay, you claim to be salvation, right? I mean, that's exactly what they're talking about up here. And they said to him, verse 28, what, what shall we do? We want to know what is necessary for us to do in order to be able to do for, for God, right? That we might work the works of God. And Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. Now That means believe in me. Why? Because Jesus is contested. Now, he's not accepted, by the way, in most circles, I should say. But he is contested. There is a great debate and argument about Jesus as concerning the potential of being a Messiah. So as Jesus would say that you believe on him and whom he sent, they know that Jesus is telling them to believe in him because he is the one whom God has sent. And so that they would immediately say, well, you know, our, God gave our forefathers manna in the desert. What are you going to do? <laughs> Essentially, what they're asking Jesus is proof of his sonship in the Father, and equally as proof of being their Messiah is, is as God gave manna to the, the, the people of Israel in the wilderness. Now, if you just call down from heaven some manna right now, Oh, by the way, he did feed 5,000 with five loaves of bread. I'd say that was a pretty good example of manna, but Jesus was right. They didn't pay attention to the miracle that happened. They only paid attention to the fact that they were well fed. And so what are they doing again? They're hungry again and calling upon Jesus to feed them again physically. 
So they said, what sign will you show us? Then they said, oh, I know a sign that you can give us because, you know, I'm hungry. Our forefathers were fed by God with this manna in the wilderness. So what do you have to offer? Well, Jesus smacked them down with this one. He said in verse number 32, he said, uh, Verily I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and gives life unto the world. <laughs> yeah, he just wrecked their world with that one because he just directly contradicted what they had in Scripture, right? Because, now keep in mind, I said he directly contradicted what they had in Scripture. Be advised, they were bending the Scripture. Jesus is actually the one that's true because Moses didn't have any authority or power to make that manna show up at all. Moses... Moses didn't have any, any, any uh, say or command in that manna coming to the first place. That was a provision that God made for his people as God led them into a wilderness where there was nothing for them to be able to eat to survive. And so God provided everything that they needed. Now, remember that scenario... Uh, back in the Old Testament, that it wasn't what they wanted. It, it was what they needed in order to be able to survive, but it wasn't what they wanted. And so God, on occasion, would, would allow for, for the fowls of the air, like quail, to be able to come into the camp in the wilderness that they would fly in. And, and many of the people had gorged themselves so much on the meat that they actually had their stomachs burst and they died. <laughs> All because that they were not satisfied with the provision of God. And they always wanted more. And so we, we find that Jesus says to them, uh, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven. In other words, it wasn't Moses that gave you that bread. It was God. Now remember that, that just above that, he says, this is the work of God that you believe on him whom he sent. Then he comes down and he chastises his people and says, no, it wasn't Moses that gave you that bread. Moses didn't didn't say, Lord, give us this bread, or, or you better send us a bread down right now, whatever the demand might be. It wasn't Moses at all that made that bread happen. Now, the people, this is important because we do the same thing, the people attributed that miracle unto Moses. And it's why uh, throughout the Old Testament, as Moses was leading them through the books of the Torah, as Moses was leading them, that the people, instead of coming to, to God in prayer, they would come to Moses and say, will you go to God for us? So this, this is a scenario that, that the, this people also has to face, is that Jesus, when he said, Moses didn't give you that bread. My father gave you that bread. And that bread represents me essentially is what Jesus is saying. He said, the bread of God is he. Now, that manna was a representation of what Jesus is, is the provision from God for man. For in that manna, they were completely satisfied. They were completely filled. Well, Jesus did the same thing with the five loaves because he, 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 
is the manna, not the bread. And so that the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and gives life unto the world. So they said unto him, verse 34, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Now that was the exact same statement that was made by the woman at the well, wasn't it? Sir, give me this water that I may drink and not, not thirst. That, that was the exact same statement. But this wasn't a moment where Jesus took her aside and said, okay, well, just pray this prayer after me, and if you believe it with all of your heart, then you will be saved. No, that didn't happen. He's, he said, go, go call your husband, and, and both of you come. <laughs> well, in this case, they, they listened to the teachings of Jesus, and they said, Lord. Now, at this point, they've, they've changed the tune just a little bit, haven't they? They changed the tune from from challenging him as a rabbi or considering him as a king, as a messiah, that they were going to take him by force. I always think that's funny. Now they call him Lord. The question, did they get it and have they come to faith? Well, let's keep looking because they said, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. Jesus changes his tune as well. Jesus now directly engages them. And this is what I wanted to get you to today. I'm going to read this from verse number 35 down to verse number 40. I'm going to read this, and then we're really going to go over it tomorrow because it's just priceless. So the scripture says, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believes on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that you also have seen me and do not believe. All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and him that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that all which he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which sees the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Ain't nothing better than those promises, is it? But it's the challenge of verse number 40. It's the challenge, and this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which sees the Son and believes on him. It's it's that challenge that sees the Son. Not the miracles that he did to chase after him as a welfare uh, provider. Not not the things that, that he's done or said or anything else, but that we see the Son and believe on him. Now, of course, seeing him today is going to come through what he said. It's going to come through what his word is. But even at that, there are a lot of people who have read the Bible but still have not come to an acceptance of Jesus. And those of us who are saved wonder, how is it possible that you could read any of this and not see Jesus? The answer is because we 
who had our eyes open unto Christ, had our eyes open by the Holy Spirit being drawn by the Father. Without the Holy Spirit's leading us unto salvation, there's no way that we could possibly have chosen it on our own behalf. As to believe that a completely depraved soul could make any kind of decision except for that which is depraved without a holy and righteous God grabbing a hold of them through the Spirit to give them wisdom to know how to make a different choice. And that is the power that is revealed to us in this moment by the bread of life. Think on these things. Father, we thank you. Asking your blessing be upon us in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, guys, God bless you, keep you, cause his face to shine upon you, and we will start back up in verse number 35, and we will consider every single statement that Jesus made as concerning being the bread of life and how the, the, the Jews then responded to it, which I think is apropos to the way that many people respond to Jesus today. So, catch me tomorrow, and I'll give it to you. <laughs> Take care.